Let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 21. And if you hurry on over to Acts chapter 21, we'll get right into the passage that is before us this morning for our consideration. Acts chapter 21 is a narrative chapter in the book of Acts, as much of the book of Acts is. We're going to read the entire chapter this morning. It's 40 verses long, so it'll take us a few moments to read through that. But we want to consider the chapter as a whole this morning because it marks a major change in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And the scriptures are informing us of this change and how this all played out. We're going to find by the end of the chapter as we're reading along that the Apostle Paul is arrested in the city of Jerusalem uh, for what they suppose is somehow blaspheming or, or polluting the temple, which of course he had not done, but he was accused falsely of that and arrested. And from this point in Acts chapter 21, the rest of what we know about the ministry of the Apostle Paul will be a ministry from imprisonment. He will spend several years in imprisonment, eventually appealing his case to stand before Caesar himself as a citizen of Rome, and it was his desire to be able to share the gospel all the way up to Caesar himself and many government officials along the way, which is exactly what we find in the balance of the book of Acts. Most Bible scholars believe that that period of imprisonment would end with Paul Uh, becoming a martyr for the cause of the gospel, his life being taken. There are some uh, Bible students who believe that there's some indications that perhaps Paul was released after that initial meeting with Caesar and continued with some ministry before he was brought back again before Caesar and eventually became a martyr for the gospel. We don't read a lot about that in the scripture, so some of that is uh, quite a bit of conjecture. Uh, We don't really know because the Bible doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that in Acts chapter 21, there is a change in Paul's ministry from being mostly free to go where he wanted, to go where the Spirit led him and to preach the gospel, to being imprisoned and his life being quite hemmed in. And yet we also know that during that period of imprisonment, Paul enjoyed a very fruitful ministry. In fact, Part of the fruit of that ministry is much of the New Testament that we read today that the Holy Spirit, of course, used him to write in the form of letters or epistles that would be sent to the churches that he had established. Much of what we hold to as New Testament doctrine uh, concerning the operation and, and the nature of a New Testament church comes out of these epistles. So though he was imprisoned, it was certainly a fruitful period of ministry, and God used it greatly. Now, as we read through this passage this morning, I want you to have in your mind this thought, what will it cost me to preach the gospel? Because in our day and age, we have this mentality, this idea that we are happy to serve God as long as it doesn't cost us much of anything. As long as I can serve God and do all the things that I want to do, 
As long as I can serve God and accomplish my life goals, as long as I can serve God and pursue the plans that I have, then I'll be happy with that. But what we're going to find in this chapter is that preaching the gospel will cost you literally everything. And yet this is the calling that God has placed upon every one of our lives to be ambassadors for Christ. And we must weigh this out. What is my obligation and what am I willing to give in order to share the gospel with those who have not yet heard? Acts chapter 21, if you direct your attention to verse 1, I'll read all the way through the chapter. I hope you'll follow along with me and consider that as I am reading, these are the words of God to us today. This is the very word of God, and so we want to give focus and attention to what God says here in Acts chapter 21. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them, and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Kos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patara. And finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand, and sailed into Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unlaid her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? Notice these next words. This is a key to our message this morning. For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went up with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one Manasin of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James and all the elders were present and when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. 
And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we've written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus and Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, Away with him. And as Paul was to be led into the castle... He said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art not thou that Egyptian, which before these days madest an uproar and ledest out into the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license... Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying. Now you'll notice in Acts 21 that Paul has left from the region of Asia Minor, where he had said farewell to the elders of the church at Ephesus, Chapter 21 traces his movements along with his team, those who had joined him, traces his movements down along the coast from Asia Minor and 
to the region there where he's coming now close to Judea, which is where they put in at Caesarea, and he makes his way. Now, along the way, he has some, uh, some meetings with some disciples in different places, and we'll look at that in a moment. And then he makes his way from Caesarea over to the city of Jerusalem. He arrives in the city of Jerusalem about in the middle of the chapter, and he sits down with the pastors of the church at Jerusalem to explain to them all that God has been doing through his ministry, those who've been saved, churches that have been established. And these men are so glad to hear about what God has done through his ministry, and they're just rejoicing with him. But they say to Paul, you know, there is a problem, and the problem is that a lot of the brethren here in Jerusalem, who of course are from a Hebrew heritage, have heard that you are opposed to the temple and that you are opposed to the, to the Jewish culture. And we think it would be helpful for you to, to go into the temple with some men who are members of the church and to complete a vow there with them to show everyone that you are not trying to destroy the Old Testament that you're not opposed to Moses, but rather that you are preaching what he was preaching, which is the completion of the Old Testament, the, the satisfaction of all that the Old Testament had predicted in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul agreed with that, and he went with these men. He was uh, The process is described there in our text of what he did and what he went through. Some, some Bible students believe that Paul was actually on the tail end of a vow that he had made to God already. These men shaving their heads is indicative of the Nazarite vow. And, and Paul seems to be on the tail end of having completed this sort of a vow, or perhaps not yet having completed, but planning to complete that in the temple. These men come along with him. They're all Jewish men. They're all Hebrews. They're all supposed to be welcome in the temple. They're there purifying themselves and showing their devotion to the God of the Bible. And then just like that, everything changed. And some people that were in the temple who were Jewish men from Asia recognized Paul. And of course, they were the ones who had been stirring up trouble all through Asia in the churches that had been established. And so they began to cry out against Paul. And the result was that Paul was taken by the temple guards... He was dragged out of the part of the temple that belonged to the Jewish people into the outer court, and he was surrounded by these men with the intention of, which they did, beat him, and then they were going to take his life. They were going to stone him as a blasphemer there in the outer court of the temples. And right into that chaotic scene comes the, the chief centurion who was responsible for security in the city of Jerusalem, he comes in with his soldiers and breaks up this crowd, takes Paul captive. You see that they uh, took him and bound him with two chains. They really thought he was a dangerous guy, and they dragged him away to a place of safety. That saved his life. And then uh, you see the assumptions that were made about who Paul was. Uh, the, the centurion thought he was an Egyptian who had, was leading a band of murderers into the wilderness. And Paul said, I think you're confused. I, that's not who I am. I'm a citizen of Rome. I'm from the city of Tarsus. And they dialogued a little bit. And then Paul had an opportunity 
to address the crowd, which he did in the Hebrew language, and that is chapter 22, where he talks about what God had done in his life. Now, as we read through the chapter, you probably picked up on several things which I'd like to highlight to your attention this morning about the fact that if we are going to preach the gospel, it is going to cost us something. It was Paul's intention to preach the gospel in the city of Jerusalem again. He felt that he was particularly equipped as an evangelist to the Jewish people. God had called him as a preacher to go to the Gentiles, but because of his upbringing and his understanding of the Jewish law, the fact that he had sat under the feet of Gamaliel, Paul has this understanding, and he loves the Jewish people. These are his people, and he's yearning to share with them again the message about Jesus Christ. So he is determined to go to the city of Jerusalem, knowing that it is very dangerous. He is going to go there, and he intends to share the gospel there, and he realizes that there could be a heavy cost for doing so. Now, in Paul's case, it cost him a number of things to preach the gospel. In our case, it will likely cost us a number of things if we are going to preach the gospel to those around us. Notice, first of all, that it will cost you saying farewell to precious relationships if you are going to preach the gospel. And all scattered through Acts 21 and even before Acts 21... We find Paul having a meeting with people that he loved, people that he had personally invested in, and the culmination of that was to say farewell to them and to move on. Many of these people he will never see again, and he knows that, and he's willing to say farewell to some precious relationships. Now consider this with me this morning. If we expect to go with the gospel to every creature and to every nation, then because we are not omnipresent and we cannot be everywhere at the same time, in order to go and preach the gospel somewhere else, we have to say farewell to some relationships that we have here. And of course, this is one of the difficulties of missionary work. I think Modern technology may make this a little bit easier in that we can easily travel from one place to another. I say easily in a relative sense, comparative to getting on a ship and spending a couple of months traversing the open seas to get to another continent or another country. We can get on an airplane and within 24 or perhaps 36 hours, we can be in a different location and we can visit uh, we can, our missionaries can go and they can return somewhat easily. And so there is the ease of travel. There's the ease of communication, like we saw this morning as we spoke with one of our supported missionaries by video phone. And that's one of the blessings of modern communication. But the point still stands that if you're going to preach the gospel to people in another place, you're going to have to say goodbye to some people in this place. And this is something that we experience with the missionary families that we send to the field. There's always a time 
when they go, when they're leaving, and we gather around to say goodbye to them. And that's a difficult thing because we love them. They're, they're a part of our church family. We would love for them to be here with us, but they have a calling of God upon them. And praise the Lord, they're willing to go and say farewell, at least for now, to say farewell to go and preach the gospel who need to hear. Now, I will point out that the balance of this cost or the balancing factor of this cost is that God tends to give new relationships in that place where you go to preach and he knits your heart with the people that you're ministering to, which has the effect of when you leave to return back to the place where you came from, you have to say goodbye on that side as well. And so there's lots of farewells that are involved in going with the gospel. In fact, this is a cost that has caused many people to say, I am not willing to pay that cost. I am not willing to say goodbye to my family. I'm not willing to say goodbye to my friends. I'm not willing to go away uh, for a season from the church where God has made me a member. I, I don't want to lose those relationships. And so I'm not willing to surrender that to the Lord. But I want you to understand that if the gospel is going to be preached, then it's going to cost saying farewell to some precious relationships. We, we have to think about this as parents, don't we? As we think about our children and God's purpose in their life, it could be that God wants to call them into His service to go to a place that would not be near to us. And as parents, would we restrict our children and put... Uh, hindrances upon them to keep them close to us at all costs? Or would we surrender them to the purposes of God and what God's will is for their life? And so understand that if we're going to preach the gospel, we'll need to say farewell to some precious relationships. The second thing that the gospel will cost you is it will cost you facing the warnings of your brethren. And through this passage, we find Paul being confronted by his brethren, by people who were Christians, people who were filled with the Spirit and were speaking to him under the influence of the Spirit of God, people who understood what the cost was going to be of him going to Jerusalem. And time and time again, they come to Paul and say to him, please, please don't go. We know what this is going to cost. We know what the result of this is going to be in your life. Repeatedly, Paul is warned of the danger of continuing on to Jerusalem. Now, just for a moment, I, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to address a little bit of the controversy around chapter 21 because there are those who suggest, based on the wording of chapter 1 and especially of verse number 4, that Paul going to Jerusalem was out of the will of God, that he was going in defiance to the will of God or the direction of the Spirit of God. And you can certainly understand why people would feel that way based on verse number four. And there is some indication that through the Spirit, he is being strongly warned not to go to Jerusalem. The question is... Did the Spirit forbid him to go, or was the Spirit warning him of the cost of going 
through these individuals who were speaking to him. And that's where some of the disagreement comes. My personal opinion is that Paul was convinced that this was the will of God, but that the Spirit was speaking through these individuals to warn him, this is going to cost you dearly. This is going to be something that will be very difficult. And Paul says, I hear what you're saying. You know, sometimes if we're going to preach the gospel to every creature, then that's going to require some what we might term risky behavior. And and this doesn't mean that any of us should have a martyr's complex or should go out seeking to uh, sacrifice our life literally, uh, putting ourselves in danger intentionally or on purpose. But I do want to suggest to you that if we're only going to share the gospel in places where it is safe, that excludes a lot of places in the world. There are a lot of places where it is not safe, where it is not okay to be a Christian, and certainly it is not safe to share the gospel. Now, understand, whatever the case is in Acts chapter 21, for Paul to continue on to Jerusalem, it caused him to have to evaluate the warnings that were being given to him and weigh them out, and he is clear if you will, in verse 14 or verse 13, he's clear that this is affecting him emotionally because he says, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? He says, this is hard for me. And and the hardness for him was not so much in, in going to Jerusalem. He makes it clear he's willing to sacrifice everything. What's hard for him is realizing that these brethren are pleading with him not to go. Please don't go. But Paul is determined. He says, I know this is the will of God. I must go and preach the gospel in Jerusalem. Do you know there can be a lot of difficulty in pressing forward in God's will if people who have good intentions are warning of the danger. And certainly it is possible that You may determine, I'm going to go share the gospel. I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to tell people about the Lord. And other people might say, whoo, be careful. Boy, that sounds dangerous. Are you sure God wants you to go? And and we shouldn't just dismiss those warnings. We ought to weigh them out, but we also ought to consider what does God want me to do? Because I, I want to point out to you, It is not always God's will for us to share the gospel in safe places and in safe manners. Sometimes God wants us to go and, if you will, risk it all to share the gospel with others. So the gospel may cost you facing the warnings of your brethren. Third of all, it will certainly cost you being misunderstood. Being misunderstood. And you see in Acts 21, that when Paul arrived in Jerusalem, it was clear that his preaching of the gospel had earned him quite a reputation. Now, I would say about Paul that his character was sterling, that that his track record was, was without any difficulty. There wasn't anything that people could grab a hold of except for misunderstanding. And there were a lot of people who looked at what Paul was doing and they misunderstood 
how he was going about things. There were a lot of false rumors that were going around about him that had been stirred up by his antagonists. And because he had become a follower of Jesus, people began to assume that Paul had corrupted Judaism and that he no longer belonged among his people. But he's trying to make the point, look, no, I, I believe that preaching about Jesus is the completion of the law. It's the satisfaction of everything that I was looking for in Judaism. And I just want to share that with everyone else that is also coming from the same background that I am. And this misunderstanding caused many of the Jews to reject the message before they even heard it, as we'll see in chapter 22, even though it was exactly what their religion taught them to look for. But they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to, they didn't want to hear that truth because it was inconvenient. It would upset their lifestyle. So when Paul came to Jerusalem, he came as a man who was misunderstood. Even he was misunderstood even by the church at Jerusalem. There were many people in the church who were questioning Paul's motives and, and Paul's tactics or his methods. And they were saying, is Paul in opposition to our culture? Is Paul in opposition to all the things that we were raised Knowing and, and bear in mind, these are people who've believed on Jesus, who have the same faith, but they're questioning whether Paul is pursuing things in the right way. Now, I want you to understand this morning that if you set out to share the gospel broadly with many people, there's a possibility that you will be misunderstood. I know there was a time my wife and I were in, in the city of Helsinki in Finland, and we were there for a period of time uh, with the purpose of sharing the gospel with people and discipling a group of people that was there. And I remember uh, as we would pass out tracts and we would try to talk with people, there was more than one occasion where we were confronted by someone who said, why are you coming as a missionary here to Finland? We are Christians why are you trying to change us? Why don't you go home? And boy, I'll tell you, if you're struggling with discouragement, that will just plunge you right in the depths of discouragement. Why don't you just go home? We don't need you here. Go somewhere else. Leave us alone. And we would try to reason with them. I would say that our intentions were misunderstood. But that goes along with serving the Lord. People are going to misunderstand what you're doing. How often is it said as we're out on outreach, trying to speak to people here in our own community, why are you out here saying these things? Why Just go away. Just leave us alone. We have our own religion. We don't want to be bothered. And we want to say, I think you have misunderstood our motives. I think you've misunderstood the message that we are sharing because there is something that you do need to hear about what Jesus has done for you. But if you can't handle being misunderstood, then you won't be able to labor for very long in the gospel. Even being misunderstood by those who are brethren, who perhaps have a different view of commitment than you do, or who have heard things about you that are not true. And so as believers, we must be willing to be misunderstood by others. We find also in 21, chapter 21, 
that if you're going to preach the gospel, it will cost you doing things that you are not obligated to do. And you'll see in this passage that Paul was asked by the leadership of the church at Jerusalem to go into the temple and to complete a vow. Now, the reason he was asked this is because the leadership at the church felt like this would assuage the rumors and the misunderstandings that were going around about the Apostle Paul, that this was the very best way to handle this situation. As it turns out, that was not the greatest of counsel, and these men misunderstood some things themselves, but they were suggesting, Paul, you ought to do this, you ought to, in other words, you ought to bend over backwards to show these people that you're not opposed to Judaism, that you don't have opposition to the temple, that you still respect the law of Moses, and perhaps God will use that to calm things down. Now, you'll notice in Acts 21, they were particularly concerned about the Jewish members of the church at Jerusalem more than they were concerned about the people at large in the Jewish community. But it was those in the Jewish community at large who were unconverted who would end up stirring up the trouble. Now, what I'm pointing out to you in Acts 21 is a principle which Paul bears out in other places in the New Testament, and that is that he was he was always willing to surrender his rights or to yield something that he could do in order not to offend or to make an opportunity to share the gospel with others. So he was always willing to lay his, his rights to the side so that he could go forward and preach the gospel to someone. And I want to, to remind you this morning that if you're going to preach the gospel to people you're going to have to lay aside some of your personal rights. You're going to have to lay aside some of, the, some of the drive that you and I have to be respected. You're going to perhaps have to do some things that you're not required to do, you're not obligated to do, but that you're willing to do in order to preach the gospel to someone. I would say there have been times when I've eaten some things that I didn't really want to eat, because I wanted to have a good testimony and not offend the people who were offering me that food to eat. And I was hoping for a chance to be able to talk to them about the Lord. Now, sometimes that caused me to get sick. Sometimes that had an effect on me down the road that I, that I wasn't all that fond of. But in those cases, I would rather lay aside my rights than I would cling to I don't like that. I can't stand that. That might get me sick and lose an opportunity to preach the gospel. That's just one minor example. But I want you to understand that if, you're, if you are intending to preach the gospel to people, then you're going to have to lay your rights aside. You, this is hard for Americans, too. Because Americans like to say, I don't have to do anything. I can choose my own. I can do what I want to do. And you can but if you're going to preach the gospel to people, you're going to have to lay some rights aside. I think if you ever travel outside the United States, you quickly realize that life here is very different from life in a lot of other places. And the first time you come eyeball to eyeball with a government official who starts asking you questions that you don't think you should have to answer, and you try to assert your rights as an American citizen, you quickly realize... I don't have too many rights here. I think I'm going to have to change my tactic. 
I remember one time at a border crossing when the border official told us, if you want to come into our country, you have to leave your passport here with us. And I said, well, hold on a second. I, I don't, that's not legal. You can't ask me to do that. The, the United States government says I should never surrender my passport. And, and the border official said, that's fine. You can go back where you came from. But if you want to come into our country, you're going to leave your passport right here. <laughs> I didn't tell my wife that I did that <laughs> until after I reclaimed my passport at the border. But I'll tell you, for a few days while I was in that country without my passport, I was thinking... I hope this ends well. I'm uncomfortable with this. But see, there are times when we're going to have to do something that we may not like to do in order to share the gospel with someone. Do you understand what I'm saying? Number five, if you're going to preach the gospel, it will cost facing persecution. Now, I don't want you to minimize what happened in Acts 21, although it pales in comparison to some of the other things that Paul faced in his ministry, Paul was treated very roughly in the temple. He had done nothing wrong. He had violated no laws of the Jewish Sanhedrin. He had had in no way gone against the law of Moses. He was not desecrating the temple of God. He was there legitimately as a Jewish man. They had no right to treat him this way. But understand that because he was an ambassador of Christ and because he had a reputation of speaking the gospel, Paul faced persecution. They treated him very roughly. They beat him, the Bible says. In fact, it was only the arrival of the chief captain and the soldiers that caused them to stop beating Paul. They intended to take his life from him. Now, many of us pull back from facing any sort of persecution. In fact, we equate facing persecution to someone looking at us with a side eye or someone saying, leave me alone. I don't want that. And we get offended and we think, oh, they were so mean to me. They didn't take the tract that I offered to them. I don't know if I'm ever going to do that again. (laughs) Well, then the devil has won, hasn't he? I mean, if, if we can't, stand up to that kind of persecution and continue on serving the Lord because we've faced a little bit of pushback in our culture. What kind of ambassadors for Christ are we? We've got to be willing to face some persecution. There is going to be a cost attached to representing Christ in this world. Jesus himself tells us that we should expect to face persecution. In fact, He went so far in the Beatitudes to say to us, blessed are they who are persecuted. There is a blessing from God that is found in persecution. I'm not suggesting that we go out looking for persecution or asking for persecution or baiting people for persecution. We shouldn't be obnoxious and hope that people get upset with us. This is silly and childish. It's not Christian behavior. But it is certain that if you stand for Christ and you preach the truth, there will be people who do not like what you are saying. The persecution was so severe on this day that had it not been for God's intervention, Paul surely would have died on that day. He surely was in a place of danger. If we're not willing to go to a dangerous place, if we're not willing to face persecution 
then what kinds of servants of God are we? I'm reading a book right now about people who boldly share the message of the gospel in the place where they live, where they are surrounded by people who hate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their lives are at danger every single day just for the crime of being a Christian. And yet God uses them, he, he uses them powerfully as they follow the Spirit of God and boldly share the gospel with people that they're unsure how they will respond. I just read the story last evening about a man who was converted. He was the leader of a terrorist group in the Middle East. He got saved because his cousin came to Christ and eventually became bold enough to share the gospel with him. And this man, who was the leader of a terrorist group, came to Christ, and then the group that he was leading found out about it, and they went to execute him. They were going to take his life. God gave a deliverance to him, and he was able to escape but I was thinking about that. In that kind of a situation, would I be bold enough to not step back from my commitment to Christ? And we know that in this world, there is a cost of serving God of persecution. Number six, if you're going to preach the gospel, what we learn in Acts 21 is it's going to cost you preaching to people who hate you and hate the message that you are sharing with them. Now, most of us try to discern who is open to the message, who is, who is willing, who, who would like to hear the message of the gospel. But you notice at the end of Acts 21 that Paul is standing up before a hostile audience. I'm very thankful this morning that you all are not like that group of people. Because honestly, Paul is going to stand up. He's going to quiet them. He is going to share a message with them and he's going to get to a certain point in that message where they are overcome with such violent anger against the Apostle Paul that were it not for the fact that he had an armed group of Roman soldiers protecting him, he would have definitely died on that day. So sometimes God wants us to share the gospel with people who hate us, and who hate the message of Jesus Christ. Now, we ought to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Those are the words of Jesus. We ought to be careful to be discreet and kind. Uh, we ought to be clear in our communication. We ought not to seek to offend, but we also ought not to back away from sharing the gospel with people who are violently opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, lest you say, well, that doesn't exist here. We would have to go somewhere else to do that. I would suggest to you that we are fast approaching a place in our culture where there are more and more people like this all around us who hate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as ambassadors for Christ, if we're going to take seriously the command of Jesus to preach the gospel to every creature, that means that we need to be willing to share the gospel even with those folks who we discern to be 
violently opposed to the gospel. What's interesting is Paul understood this, did he not? Because there was a time when he was violently opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a time when, if you were a Christian, the most dangerous man to be around was Saul of Tarsus. And yet, Saul of Tarsus had heard the gospel. Saul of Tarsus had heard the truth about Jesus Christ. And Saul of Tarsus would be confronted by Jesus Christ himself on the road to Damascus and would be transformed by the power of God. So Saul, or as he's now called, Paul, is looking out on this audience of people who hate the gospel and who hate him, and he's saying, there's some people out there that are like me. There's some people who will undoubtedly respond to the message of truth, even though right now they hate this message, God wants to do something in their heart. All too often, we write people off and we assume, well, that person would never be interested in the gospel. I'm not even going to bother telling them the truth. And that's a shame. Because there are people that we have misperceived. We have misunderstood. Or we have assumed they would not hear or understand or care about the gospel And because we do not share the gospel with them, they don't even have an opportunity to consider the truth of the gospel. But I want to remind you that over and over and over again, God has demonstrated that there are people who started out being opposed to the gospel, but when they heard the truth, the Spirit of God worked powerfully on their heart, and they believed on Christ, and their their lives were transformed. So we can't just go around. I don't know if you, you are guilty of doing this like I am at times. Judging the crowd. Who will I talk to? You know, on outreach, judging the house. Well, I doubt if this person will be interested. I doubt if that person would care. I, I, I th- oh, that's a person who will really be interested. And the truth is, we can't tell people's hearts. That's why God tells us that we need to share the gospel with every creature. But now consider this as we conclude this morning. If you're going to share the gospel, it's going to cost you something. And truthfully, the reason that most Christians do not share the gospel... I'm going to say that again. Most Christians do not share the gospel is because it costs too much. And they've said, I'm not willing to pay that cost. I'm happy to go to heaven. I'm happy to be a child of God. But no, I'm not willing to pay the cost of what it might cost me to share the gospel with those around me. And I want to say to you this morning, that's a shame. That's a shame. Because God has called us to be bold He has called us to go forth in the power of the Spirit of God. He has called us to count the cost, yes, but to set aside that cost for the privilege of sharing the gospel with those who have not heard. And this morning, I want to leave this final charge with you. If you in your life have stepped back from sharing the gospel with people around you because you perceive that it simply costs too much... I want to ask you, what then 
is the cost of not sharing the gospel? What is the cost to you? And what is the cost to them if you do not share the gospel with them? What is the cost? And now weigh that out between those two costs and say, which one of those costs more? And may God motivate us as a church, as believers, to be bold in sharing the gospel with the world around us. Brethren, we are living in the last days. The time is short. There is a great need for people around us to hear about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But how shall they hear without a preacher? And perhaps God wants you to be that preacher to share the gospel with the people who are near and dear to you